7.43. Now, the Pulitzer Prize for national reporting went to the New York Times and the Washington Post for uncovering links between Donald Trump's presidential campaign and Russia. In announcing the prizes, Pulitzer Administrator Dana Kennedy said the winners uphold the highest purpose of a free and independent press, even in the most trying of times. Let's now bring in Scott Shane, reporter for the Washington Bureau of the New York Times, part of the team that won the award. And good morning to you from Seoul. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. How are you? Well, good. How are you uh, in the days since you found out you'd won? Um, you know, it's it's a nice honor. And, um, you, know, f- uh, you know, the only, um, I suppose, asterisk that you have to put on something like this is that the New York Times, uh, fortunately, is still a very larger news organization. And we can, I mean, for the Pulitzer we won last year, there were 11 people in the group. And for the one we won this year was 10 people. So we have a lot of reporting power and that uh, I'm sure in the eyes of uh, many other publications that do excellent work, that may give us an unfair advantage, um, but, it's, um, but it's, it really is a nice honor. Yes, indeed. I mean, it, it, this is um, certainly all part of the prestige of your publication in improving itself time and time again. But can you just reflect on how your work in winning in 2017 ties together with the reporting you did for this year's prize? Well, it really is um, sort of part of the same story, two parts of the same story. Last year, we won the international uh, reporting Pulitzer for covering the Russian hacking of the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign, the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, and uh, and other ways in which Vladimir Putin's Russia was sort of reaching out into other countries and projecting its power. And this year, uh, it was for, as you said, uh, stories examining the possible connections between what Putin's Russia was up to in the campaign, in the presidential campaign, and what... Uh, the possible connections to Donald Trump and his associates were. Uh, and, and in general, what Russia was up to, uh, my part of that one was writing about how the Russians had uh, very skillfully created, invaded uh, Facebook and Twitter and other social media platforms and created what looked like Americans with very strong political views and uh, used, you know, hundreds or thousands of uh, these fake Americans to try to influence the presidential election. So, um, yeah. I mean, I was just going to ask when we reflect on those kinds of details, it also provokes a huge why question. And that why question has endangered, it seems, even the president's position. But he remains steadfast. Uh, He's talked about a witch hunt repeatedly. The media outlets seem rather split on the issue in the United States, albeit uh, more people raising concerns than supporting the president uh, publicly when it comes to those media outlets, I I mean. How close are we to uncovering the truth still? Well, it's 
it's been somewhat frustrating. I mean, there have been certainly in in the time since the you know year and a half plus since the presidential election, um, there have been many many revelations of meetings, communications, connections between people in in Donald Trump's campaign or his orbit and various Russians, uh, some with official positions, some uh, without, but with Kremlin connections. And it is very clear that the Russians were trying to get to the Trump campaign, were trying to influence the Trump campaign, were trying to help the Trump campaign with, uh, with sort of negative information about Hillary Clinton. But what's not clear to this date is whether the Trump campaign actively cooperated with the Russians on anything. For example, something that would be, you know, very clear-cut would be evidence that somebody from the Trump campaign assisted the Russians in hacking the Democrats by pointing out potential targets or making requests for information or just, uh, you know, sort of meeting and talking about what the Russians were doing, and we don't have that evidence uh, so far. And Trump, of course, says there is no such evidence. It's a witch hunt. But at the same time, the president's own behavior in firing the FBI director, James Comey, in repeatedly showing concern and anxiety about what this investigation might discover has you know raised a lot of people's suspicions that he knows something that he doesn't want to come out in an, in such an investigation that he you know he may be covering up something and and of course one of the things that the special counsel Robert Mueller is looking into is whether uh Donald Trump's actions can, you know add up to obstruction of justice which is itself a crime so you, you know it's been a long if interesting process, and I think it's far from over. From Russia's point of view, what's the feeling in terms of what they would get out of this, uh, the, 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 the support of Donald Trump, if indeed they do have some sort of dirt on Trump or whatever else might be the hook that would, would, would force President Trump's cooperation? Because we've obviously seen the U.S. take a fairly tough stance publicly on Russia at times, albeit a somewhat mixed picture. Yes, I mean, that, that, I mean, that is, that is a, a very good question about what the Russian motive would be here. I mean, but part of it, but there are a couple of answers and actually don't relate directly to Trump so much. One is that Putin really disliked Hillary Clinton. Uh, he blamed her publicly for encouraging demonstrations against him, pro-democracy demonstrations in Moscow and other cities in 2011, uh, very much against Putin. He publicly claimed that Clinton, as U.S. Secretary of State, had encouraged those demonstrations. So he really did not like her. So that would be one motive was to defeat her, help defeat her. And the other one is perhaps more um, theoretical, but it appears that a lot of the activity, especially on Facebook, was designed to uh, sort of pour gasoline on the flames 
of various internal uh, issues that were dividing Americans, uh, issues involving race, involving immigration, involving guns, and other things. And the theory there would be that what Putin does not want is for the U.S. to be a model for his country or for his neighboring countries. He doesn't want more of these so-called color revolutions as there were in Ukraine and Georgia, where people stand up and say, we want democracy. So he kind of wants to damage the brand of American-style democracy. And so the theory would be that all this effort that the Russians put into uh, sort of divisive issues, dividing Americans, uh, making us all kind of hate each other and shout shout at each other in this country, were designed to make Russians and others say, you know, the last thing we want is a U.S.-style political system. So that would be another motive. You know, the third motive might be that he thought he could get along with Donald Trump. Mm. Trump is often compared with the former Italian leader, Silvio Berlusconi, as a media figure, a businessman, a guy who didn't get too hung up about ethics or human rights. And Putin got along very well with Berlusconi and may have, you know, hoped to develop a similar relationship with Donald Trump. Yet we do have this portrayal as the current U.S. administration continues to uh, make a lot of changes, uh, that, that it's squeezing the media, that it's doing... Well, I mean, we even hear the word fascism bandied around. It's very hard for me from the outside to to take seriously the claim that um, the White House is now a fascist government. However, as a media outlet there, what's your feeling on the ground? Do you feel more imposed upon? Do you feel your rights infringed? Well, on, on the one hand, the president has spoken about the media or the media that is, you know, is, is t- tough on him, covers him uh, in, a, you know, in a fair, perhaps, but um, um, tough manner. He's, he's called us fake news, fake media, lying media. Um, he's described the media as the enemy of the people. And all of that is, is a bit worrisome. It's, it's the kind of approach that you do see from an aspiring dictator, an aspiring autocrat. But, um, you know, we have a very strong press tradition in this country. We have pretty strong laws. And so I don't think, for the most part, um, reporters and editors are worried about what Trump might do to us. I think we still feel we have confidence that we can cover uh, the Trump administration, um, uh, you know, fairly and aggressively without getting in any kind of legal trouble, uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, one of the great ironies of this period is that even as he attacks the media, the media is, you know, generally speaking, uh, publications that have had a a tough time business-wise for the last, you know, 10 or 20 years, are actually thriving because people are so interested in the Trump administration, yes. its criticism, its you know, criti- its critics, and what it's up to. So uh, you know, even though he calls my my newspaper the failing New York Times, 
the fact is that we're doing extremely well, uh, and it's really partly thanks to all the interest in, in him and his administration. So our digital subscriptions are way up, and, uh, you know, it, it may pain him, um, but we really have him to thank for that. Well, winning a, another Pulitzer Prize certainly won't do your publication any harm. Um, thank you, Scott Shane. It's been a pleasure to hear from you today. Pleasure talking to you. Thank uh, you.